Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Super Bowl Sunday. It's a national holiday. And we're getting into the Word. Inside story. If you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. We're going to read 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. We're in 1 Peter 4. Today is part 2 of the end is near, so live like this. Peter is saying the end is near, so we must have a holy expectancy, a costly love, a ready hospitality, and a godly ministry, and today we're going to look at a costly love. 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Lord God, thank you that you are here and that we can be here, and Lord, may you in everything be glorified through Jesus Christ. Yours is the glory and dominion forever. Amen. These five verses that we're looking at summarize the entire Christian life. Lived in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And there are three one another's in this passage. We're going to look at the first today in verse 8. We're focusing today on the idea of costly love. Costly love. But I want to start you with a dilemma. A hypothetical one, but I believe that you'll see a parallel in your life, whether you're young or old, whether you're a a seasoned adult or a young adult or a youth or a child, I think you'll see a connection to your life. Here's a dilemma. You have a friend who's a professing believer in Christ like you. And you hear from another friend that your friend has been saying things behind your back. And you're very hurt. You're thinking about it a lot. You, you don't know what to do. The question is, what do you do? What do you do with that? You could go to their house. Here's one option. Go to their house, knock on the door, and give them a big hug. 
you could go to their house, knock on their door, and give them a big slug. You could write them a nasty email or a text or maybe something with some barbs or a little knife twist. You could ignore it. You could talk to a whole bunch of people about it. What are you going to do? It's a dilemma. It's a relational dilemma. What would someone who is displaying costly love as expressed by 1 Peter 4, 8 do? So I want you to hold on to your dilemma. We're going to get back to it. Just hold on to that thought, and let's get into the text. Now, I'm convinced that as a local church, we need to focus not only on our vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with each other. And here you've got these one another's that we're going to take one after the other for the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks. We're going to look at costly love today, ready hospitality next week, and godly ministry the week after. There are a lot of one another passages in Scripture. Forgive one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, pray for one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, confess your sins to one another. But love one another is the biggest. It's the biggest. Looking back to last week, we talked about holy expectancy. Holy expectancy. In terms of how we should live in light of the return of Christ, we should have this holy expectancy because we realize the nearness of Christ's return, his imminent return, and that every Christian should should believe in the sudden, personal, visible, bodily, promised return of Christ. And that our sensitivity to the return of Christ will have a direct effect on the fervency of our desire to live godly lives. Peter was talking about prayer. We looked at that last week, about the purpose of prayers. Literally, all kinds of prayer. Prayer you pray alone, in a group, short prayers, long prayers, every kind of talking with God. And the thing is, we can't just start at verse 8 and say, well, that was great about this holy expectancy and the part about prayer. Now let's chop that off and talk about love. Because what Peter is saying regarding this expectancy and this imminency of Christ's return and prayer flows right into this idea of costly love. They cannot be separated. They are very close relatives. If your heart has been captured by the grace of God in Christ and you're blown away by his, his death on the cross for you and shedding his blood for you and, and you say, wow, God saved me. And you're in wonder over that. That he chose you and saved you and shed his blood for you, then you will pray all the more fervently and you will want to have a life that is that is pleasing to God because you're anchored in the living hope you have in Christ. So this costly love flows right from what we've been talking about. And we will look at this costly love and realize that it is not easy. That's why it's costly. Jesus made it very clear about the cost of following him. Why would you call this costly love? Well, because this verse captures that idea. But Jesus made it very clear that unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you can't be his disciple. 
It's very clear that there is a cost that needs to be counted. Plenty of people will say, I want to follow Jesus and never count the cost. I'm going to show you five aspects of costly love today in, these verse, in this verse. It's priority, it's pattern, it's people, it's price, and it's power. First of all, the priority of costly love. It starts with the very first word in this verse. It begins above all. Above all. It's very important. It's supreme importance. The highest importance is put on love. It literally means before all things in order of importance. Love is the priority here, and it's very easy to think about love in very sentimental ways, isn't it? To think about love as what you feel towards people you like and love, and you gather a group of people around you that you feel good about most of the time, and you love them, and a lot of sentimentality and emotion is involved. The priority of love, this costly love, is different. It's far different than most of us think when we think of love. It is not a a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a sentimental thing, it is a choice. So the priority is big. Now, at your wedding, you may have had 1 Corinthians 13 read. All sorts of people will read 1 Corinthians 13. They'll land there and they'll, they'll say, I want to do that. I remember when I was a kid, I would go to a wedding and I would say, wow, I'm going to try to be like that. And for five minutes, I tried. And I would fail on the first one or two things. I had two sisters. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, go with there with me. You've heard it so many times. It speaks of the priority of love. Paul begins like this, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Remember the gong show? It was noisy, irritating, or a clanging cymbal, the drums. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, that's pretty strong faith, but have not love, I am nothing. So you don't have love as God puts it, agape love, God's love, God's volitional love, a love of choice, not of sentimentality. If you don't have that, you've got nothing. You are nothing. He says, if I give away all I have, wow, how generous, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, so that his faith in Christ, but have not love, he says, I gain nothing. And then he goes into the list that we all struggle with so much. Love is patient. Oh, I'm out. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. I'm toast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. That's not sentimentality. That's the nitty-gritty. That's blood, sweat, and tears, costly love. Verse 13, he says, now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Peter is making it very clear that the priority is love. Above all, before all things in order of importance. Now, he's not saying that it's more important than prayer. Because, remember, the prayer flows out, the, the expectancy for Christ's return, and the, the intent prayer of a believer is now going to show itself in love. So the priority is, is big. It's of supreme importance. And then you see the pattern. The next word. Above all, keep. It's the Greek word echo. It means to have something, to possess something, to, to hold on to it. And it's in the present tense. What he's saying is keep holding on, keep holding fast to love. It, it's, it's the idea of a habitual practice that is being called for in your life. Always be loving. It's not a moment. We like moments, don't we? We live in moments. Well, the other day I had a moment where I wanted to show love. I did, and it was awesome. Then I moved on. It's not a moment. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's a consistency. It's, it's something that requires daily discipline. You take anyone who's good at what they do, a doctor or lawyer or plumber or wide receiver. The skill doesn't come by waking up one day and saying, I wish I was really good at fixing pipes in people's houses. I wish I was really good at Fixing broken clavicles. I wish I was really good at trying cases in a court of law. And so the wishing, just poof, it, you become that. No, it doesn't happen that way. What if I woke up one day and said, I wish I could catch touchdown passes every time the ball is thrown to me. It doesn't happen just by wishing or wanting something, it comes from putting your will to work in real hard work. How did Rick Barry know how to make so many free throws underhanded? Remember Rick Barry used to make, when I was a kid, I was so little uh, and so weak that I couldn't, now I'm so good at shooting, you see the follow through, you, you know um, that I coach it. Uh, but, but my dad had to teach me as he's coaching me to do the underhand free throw. I made one once in a game. How did Rick Barry make like 98% of his free throws? Not because he woke up one day and said, I wish I could do that. Oh, he, he, he put it to work. He cultivated a consistency. The pattern of costly love says you don't just wake up and say, oh, I, I would like to do that in a, in a moment of of." Warm, fuzzy feelings. This is something that takes hard work 
on a daily basis all your life. A lot of people say that's, um, that's asking too much. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Now, you see, the people of costly love is very simple. It says one another. Above all, keep loving one another. This love, by the way, is agape love. Again, it's the love of choice. Keep loving one another. I knew someone once who said, I don't like people. I'm like, well, you're in trouble. You've heard me say it before. The problem with life is there's people, right? They get in the way. They're obnoxious. They're inconvenient. They're, They're rude. Don't look at each other. I see people looking at each other right now. I don't understand. But people of costly love, one another. There are so many one another's in the Bible. Pray for one another. That means that you are associated with a group of people who are like-minded and who, who you pray for. Because you know what to pray for. Because you know them well enough. How about this one? Stop passing judgment on one another. A lot of us like to get our exercise by jumping to conclusions. Well, stop doing that, the Bible says. How about this? Accept one another. That's a biggie. Instruct one another. Here's one that we'll get to at the end of Peter. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I cannot wait to teach on that one. There's a whole bunch of one another's But here we're being told, above all, before everything else in order of importance, of supreme value as a pattern of life, love one another. Peter quickly gets to the price. He says, love one another earnestly someone has an niv what does it say what word is in there go ahead out deeply deeply is like oh yeah i just feel so deeply for you and oh i feel such good feelings for you and that can be a moment in time and that moment passes very quickly that's not what it means deeply fervently earnestly it's the greek word ektenes and ek means out of Tennis means to stretch. We looked at this in chapter 1, verse 22, if you've been in this series with us, that basically you are stretching as far as you can in loving one another. In fact, look over at chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, same word, from a pure heart. So it's this intense strain. It pictures a horse at full gallop whose legs are fully extended while galloping. It it pictures, it's a medical term that was used of stretching your muscles to the limit. Some of us haven't stretched for a while and it hurts. You stretch too hard and you'll pop a muscle. In, In Greek athletics, it was used of a runner who is straining for the finish line. We have some of our people today running a half marathon. Dan Martin right now is probably, he's done. How, what was his time? Okay. That's all right. 
We know. We've been tracking. He was running a little while ago, straining for the finish line. That's the picture. Fervent. Earnest. So stretching out to love others. You know anyone like that? you got names. I'm sure you know people like that. And at the same time, you know people who say, you know, I'd love to help you, but I'm busy. I got my hands in my pockets. I have a garage door opening to go to. I, I'm not willing. But you know people that will stretch out to the uttermost in love. Agape love. It describes a quality of love given by God, and it doesn't refer to that easy, sentimental reaction. Agape love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. And it's a fruit in a yielded believer's life who then is able to do supernaturally what they could not do naturally. This love is beyond us. We need to know it's beyond us naturally. But the believer, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of God, can love the unlovely, can love the unlovable, can love in spite of injury and insult, and love even when love is not returned, unrequited love. By the way, your, your dilemma, where your friend is talking behind your back, that might be you. You might be the friend that talked behind the back. And now your friend is thinking, what am I, I going to do in response? Anyway, the only other time in the New Testament that Actenes is, is used is a couple other times in Luke twenty two forty four, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and is in extreme agony, and he was praying very fervently, same word, and his sweat became like drops of blood, falling down to the ground. That's, that's earnest. Same word. In, in the book of Acts, Luke, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, is speaking of prayers that are being made by the church for Peter, of all people. And he says that prayer for him was being made fervently, earnestly by the church to God. Same word. The church knew that only God had the power to release Peter. So the church poured its maximum effort that they were capable of into their prayers for Peter. We say that we're wasting time when we pray. We could be doing something. Well, the church knew that only God could free Peter, so they prayed fervently. They outstretched themselves and the sense of this word is really a consistency, a consistency that our love never fails, as 1 Corinthians 13 says. And it doesn't fail because we love because God first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins in our place. It all comes back to the blood of Christ at the cross. So you stretch out as a runner stretches out. You're like a horse at full gallop. The muscles are are strained and there is sustained effort. Literally, your love must be energetic. There's a good way to put it. Your love should be energetic towards one another. And by the way, it doesn't say here anything about 
It's only the pastors or elders or really, really, really loving people at the church that need to do this. It says one another. Everyone is called to this. By the way, another way that this word was translated um, in, into Latin was vehement, strongly, violently. So in the best possible way, it's this energetic love that every atom of your strength is being poured into and directed towards loving like this. And what you find, a lot of people will say, but I don't have the resources, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, I don't have the resources to live a costly love like that. And they, they say, well, I'll, I'm going to lose too much. I, don't have, I won't have enough for myself left over. But what you find out is that when you live costly love, you don't lose. You don't, you don't lose anything good. What you lose is bitterness and anger. You lose your grudges against that friend who talked behind your back that one time. You, and what you do is you lose your pride to an extent, and you gain a greater appreciation for the blood of Christ shed on your behalf. You gain a greater love for Jesus. You gain a fuller understanding of the love of Christ. Because you pay the price of costly love. So, this verse, above all, there's the priority of supreme importance. Keep there's the pattern of consistent love. Keep loving one another. The people that you are connected to and will be connected to in the body of Christ. Fervently, there's a cost there. There's a, a painful cost at times. It's a privileged cost, but it is also painful. And we're to do this for a reason. That's where we come into the power of of costly love, the reason for us to show love like this. Look at the second half of the verse. Since, because love covers a multitude of sins. That word multitude literally is where we get our English word plethora. Love covers a plethora, a multitude, a great amount of Sins. So your priority is earnest love and you're stretching beyond. And it's almost the idea, really, of protection. The word covers is an interesting word. It literally comes from a word that means a hut or a house with a roof that shelters you. And what you're doing is protecting your family in Christ from sin's damaging effects. God's love protects from sin's damaging effects. And so, for the believer who is showing costly love, they protect one another from sin's damaging effects. And that doesn't mean that you condone sin. 
That doesn't mean that you celebrate sin. That doesn't mean that you condemn people for their sin. What it means is that you, that you protect people. That you, that you confess sin. That you deal with sin appropriately as the Bible tells you to deal with it. It doesn't mean that you will love in such a way that will atone for anyone's sins and forgive them. Not the way God does. Only the blood of Jesus does that. Proverbs says, love does not stir up sins, covers them. What it means is you don't broadcast people's sins. You don't billboard their sins. We've probably all been the recipient of personal, harmful info being shared, true or untrue. Hurts nonetheless. Broadcast to a whole bunch of people. And you feel hurt and vulnerable and exposed and even naked and humiliated. The power of costly love, it says that it covers over a multitude of sins. It, it's like a cloak that you put over someone or a blanket that you put over someone to cover their shame. There's an idea here of, of forgiveness, but it, it, it's bigger. It, it's, it's, there's more facets. There's forbearance. There's Forgiveness, there's even forgetting. It's the kind of love that requires the Christian to put another person's spiritual good above their own. Even if you're treated unkindly or ungraciously or even if you're treated with hostility. Again, it's easy to get a group of people around us that we seem to like and feel good about. Costly love is not the kind of love that deals in, in cheap emotion. It's the kind of love that's not blind to a brother or sister's faults, but sees them and accepts them and doesn't always point them out. So you will not publicize faults and failings of other believers, but you will protect them from public view. F.F. Bruce put it this way, love covers unworthy things rather than bringing them to the light and magnifying them. It puts up with everything. It is always eager to believe the best and to put the most favorable construction on ambiguous action. Love protects from sin's damaging effects. There is a protective covering from sin's damaging effects as God loves his people through one another. Again, it doesn't mean you ignore sin, it doesn't mean you condone it, it doesn't mean you celebrate it, it doesn't mean you just pretend like nothing happened. But you protect people, you respect people, you, you don't want to embarrass people or humiliate them. I think that's what it means. Forgiveness isn't unmessy. It's very sloppy sometimes. You don't have to agree on everything, but you must protect each other in everything. It's the idea of protecting your family, defending your family in Christ. D. Edmund Hebert says, having 
freely forgiven the sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith. God demands that the forgiven sinner show the same forgiving attitude towards a fellow believer when he falls into sin. Love covers so as not to harshly condemn or expose faults, but to forbear and bear the other's burdens, forgiving and even forgetting past offenses. I got a little book I brought today called If by Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India. It's been one of my favorite books for a very long time. It's a very short book. She talks about Calvary love because costly love is Calvary love. Here's what she says. If I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as my Lord had pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I belittle those whom I am called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast, perhaps with what I think of as my strong points, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can easily discuss the shortcomings and the sins of any, if I can speak in a casual way, even of a child's misdoings, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I find myself half carelessly taking lapses for granted, oh, that's what they always do. Oh, of course she talks like that. He acts like that. Then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can enjoy a joke at the expense of another, if I can in any way slight another in conversation or even in thought, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, I know nothing of Calvary love. Sometimes we say, you know, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. You're like an elephant. They have good memories, right? If I cast up a confessed, repented, and forsaken sin against another and allow my remembrance of that sin to color my thinking and feed my suspicions, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I say I can forgive, but I cannot forget, as though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of all the world could not wash such memories from my mind, I know nothing of Calvary love. Wayne Grudem says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. Let's think of your quandary. So your friend, you heard, was talking behind your back. What do you do? How do you plan out a, a agenda, the next steps of how you're going to deal with this? You go to their house and you ring the doorbell and give them a hug, give them a slug, write a note, tell everyone else. Now, I want you to imagine with me that 
that situation is going. And then you get a phone call. And you find out that your friend's daughter was just tragically killed. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to their house and give them a hug? I imagine that most of us would. But that's what also you should have done when your friend supposedly talked behind your back. Isn't it interesting when, when something big happens, the petty just slides and slips away? How will you know if you are displaying the kind of love that 1 Peter 4, 8 demands? You're going to consider it of extreme, supreme importance. The top priority will be given to love. God's wish is your command. And you will be willing to be stretched. You will earnestly love, and it will be painful. And you will live like this continually, and it will characterize your life, and people will recognize, and it will pattern your life, and you will keep on loving. And you'll be convinced that love covers a multitude of sins, so you will protect others from public disgrace. You won't billboard. You will forbear. You won't embarrassingly humiliate someone. You will shield them. You will throw the cloak of love over them to hide their shame. And your relationships will be intact. Your relationships will be healthy and whole, and you will forgive, and you won't have a pit in your stomach when you see certain people, because you will have a clear conscience, because there will be an urgency to your reconciliation and your restoration. You're aware that you have something or your brother has something against you, you go. You, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and you be recon reconciled, because you won't keep score. You won't keep score. The multitude, the plethora of sins won't worry you. You're going to let things go. When your heart is frozen in unforgiveness, you will let it go. You will be free. You will walk in victory in Christ because of the cross, because of the blood shed for you and your brother or sister in Christ. Lord God, we, we don't know how to do this love, but for your spirit, Lord, may we protect the dignity of everyone, may we restore relationships, may deeper fellowship be fostered, Lord, may we bear, may we forgive, may we forget, and Lord God, if there is anything that we are holding onto right now, any relational burden, any scar, any grudge, any judgment, Lord God, give us grace to let it go at the foot of the cross of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.